Hello residents of Meeple Town, my name is Dean. I'm John. And today we're going to be looking at a few games that we've been playing lately, followed by an in-depth review of Everdale. Then we're going to be looking at the five games that got us into the modern board gaming hobby. So thanks for joining us for episode number one of the Meeple Town Gaming Podcast. Everybody, we are super excited to be starting this podcast. This is something we've been looking at doing for a while now, and to actually see this thing come into fruition is it's pretty cool. Um, so, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast? Yep, I am super excited, just as Dean is. One thing that I personally love to do is to get people involved in in new things in particular. And since I love, love, love board games, card games, whatever. My heart is to grow this board gaming community as much as possible. And so in this podcast, you're going to hear us talk about not only new games that come out, which a lot of podcasts do, but we're going to go back and do throwbacks a lot. Like, hey, I'll actually in this podcast be talking about Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert, which are two very, very popular games. And a lot of you probably know about it, but I actually I want new people to hear about it. And personally, I like to hear about older games sometimes and just go, oh, I wonder what so-and-so thinks about that game I've been playing for the last 10 years. So my heart is just doing all we can to grow this community. I love, love, love sitting down and playing games with my kids when they could be on the iPad yeah. and just having that interaction. Yeah, I agree. And I think selfishly also, it it allows us to play older board games more. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't lock us into only playing new games. So so there's a little selfishness to that as well. But uh, another thing that I would really like um, to really to show you guys is that we're we're family people. You know, we we'll talk yeah. about that in just a minute of uh, about our families. But this is a podcast where I want my six year old to be able to listen to. Yes. It. And and so we will definitely be a family. We'll have a family focus in our podcast. But John, since I've already introduced that, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I have been married for fourteen years to my wonderful wife. We have three kids. Uh, honestly, we really wanted a girl. But we ended up with three boys, <laughs> and we love our boys to death. We just love them to death. They're 10, 8, and 5. Uh, we are a gaming family. My 8 and 10-year-old really like to play games. I think I've mentioned to you before, Dean, and my 5-year-old can play some games, but he's a little more interested in the components than he is the games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He'd get super excited when I get a new game because he wants to play with the ships or whatever you know the components are for that game, and he just loves it. So I, I again, just I love that family interaction. I want so much for our family to have dialogue and, and talk about things, eat, play cooperative games, battle against each other, just have you know that oneness with each other instead of you know my kids being off in the room playing their ipad and the computer and i'm not against any of that but i just love games for that reason yeah yeah i've I've also been married really just under 14 years john and i are, are around the same age but been married for 14 years we have a six-year-old boy and a three-year-old boy and same thing we're a gaming family our three-year-old even likes to join in some of the games, uh, even if he's just sitting on on mom's team or yes. dad's team. He really we do that a lot. That, you so. would be on mommy's team. Yeah, yeah. So he really he really digs that, and and again enjoys playing with the components. So anytime there's a game with cool components, he might be playing with those off to the side while we're playing the game. But he just loves being loves interacting with his family in that way. So so yeah, that's that's 
our family. And yeah. the one thing we would like to be able to do down the road is introduce you guys to our family. We'd yeah. love for for our wives to come on the show, potentially have our kids on the show if we can manage that, and yes, uh, really just let you know about who we are and and you know give you an opportunity to know our families a little bit. All right, but this is a board gaming podcast, so John, why don't you tell us some of the games you've been playing lately? Some of the games I've been playing lately. Well, with Forbidden Sky having just come out, we don't have that yet, but the family has been getting together and playing, like I said earlier, we'll talk about old board games. We've been playing Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. Now, if you have not not played either one of those, I would greatly encourage you to look at Forbidden Island if you're new to board gaming. It is a great gateway game into co-op games, which if you don't know what that is, that's when you're playing games together. You have a goal and either everyone wins and they're basically playing against the board or everyone loses. And in Forbidden Island, it's fun. You're on this island and the island is sinking. And while the island's sinking, you're trying to get these treasures. And then after you get the treasures, you're trying to get to your helicopter and fly off the island. And it's a really, really fun game. It's, I would say, pretty easy to learn. What do you think? Dan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's super easy. You can teach the game in just a few minutes and really just get going. And because of the the thematic nature of the game, yeah. it's it's really easy to explain. You know, there, nothing's really abstracted. It's you're, you're actually trying to go to these locations, clear out the water, and, and gather the, the artifacts that you need to be able to get off the island. So yeah. the, the story... The thematic storytelling nature of the game is is you know really it sucks you in yeah it, it sucks, sucks you in, in. it's it's yeah. really fun for both of them I guess for both of them and um by the way Matt Leacock is the one who made these games who who was actually the designer of them he's also done Pandemic which again if you're a board gamer you're saying this is old news what John is sharing right now but if you're just getting into it uh, and you like co-op games you have to go look up Matt Leacock and start playing some of his games because they're really fun yeah. now for Forbidden Desert, I think, takes Forbidden Island, just kind of cranks it up a notch a little bit. It's a little more complex, so if you've never played Forbidden Island or, again, co-op games, you should start with that one. But then Forbidden Desert, you're at, you're on the, you're in the desert now. Your plane, your ship or whatever has crashed, and you're trying to go find the parts, but there's sand dunes that are stopping you from doing it. You can also run out of water, which I found was really very difficult. I think we played it three or four times and just ran out of water every single time. And then yep. maybe the fourth or fifth time we finally won the game, but we barely won the game. It was, it, I thought it was actually pretty challenging and that was even on like novice mode or whatever. So, but I, I prefer Forbidden Desert because it's a little more complex personally. But again, I'd, I'd start off with Forbidden Island if I haven't been into those games, but they also work together. And so the reason we've been playing those is on Forbidden Island, you're going to search for treasure. You get in your helicopter, you fly off if you win. In Forbidden Desert, it's crashed. And now you got to go find, I love how there's sequels. You have to go find the parts. And then in Forbidden Sky, I guess you're flying, what are you flying? You're in the sky, right? Yeah, Dude, I don't, on, I don't know. You get on a spaceship, you're actually in the sky, but then your, your goal is try to load, your load spaceship, off of the spaceship right? and it takes off. Yeah. Uh, which is a, I've not played that one, but this is kind of a side note, I guess. We're not really talking about that game, but with a five-year-old and a three-year-old who love components, I think Forbidden Sky is probably going to be the the biggest family hit uh, yeah. out of all of those. It lights so, up. Yeah, yeah. You have to have yeah, batteries, this, I think. Yeah. yeah, it makes a sound that lights up and takes off or whatever. But yeah, I, I really like both of those. I, I like Forbidden Island a lot. I like Forbidden Desert. I only own Island, but I really want Desert in the collection, and I think there's room for both of them. Yeah. 
because because of the different complexity, but also I think it would be really cool if you did have three of them to do back and you to could back. Just, yeah, you could just play the the trilogy back to back to back. I'm already thinking like, what Saturday does the family want to get together? Yeah. And when I get because Forbidden Sky, I'll I'm not like dying to have it, but I'll put it on my Christmas list. So I think it's going to be fun. So I'd like to get that and then play them all back to back to back some Saturday or something. Yeah, and. Again, if if you are newer to board games, Pandemic is probably one you've heard of because you can find it pretty regularly, and it's it's rated higher than those other two. But I really, honestly, I think there's room in your collection for yes. those different ones because of the complexity, but also the the thematic nature yeah. of them. I think is is great. I personally like Pand out of those. Pandemic's my personal favorite. But if you're newer to board gaming, you don't. I don't think you want to start with Pandemic. You could. It's not that complex. But I think Forbidden Island would really get you going very quickly into these co-op games, and you'd start to understand it a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I started with Pandemic, yeah. but I did too. I yeah. did. But have you played Pandemic: The Cure? I know this is a side. No, game, I haven't. Yeah, yeah, you got to get that to the table. Okay. It's it's a lot of fun. Actually, it's out of all of those, it's my wife and I's go-to, mm. just because it plays really fast. It's it's got some, I don't know, maybe it's not more complex than the other ones. Yeah. But there's maybe more going on. It's yeah. a little maybe, it's not as, uh, it's not as a, a natural of a as, play, I guess. But And I think it depends who you are. If you're someone who's like, I really want to get into gaming, then you could jump straight into Pandemic, I think. Yeah. If you're kind of tossing back and forth, how much do I really want to get in? I'd start with Island. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So I recently got a play of Ice Cool In, and this is a game by Brian Gomez by Amigo Games, published by Amigo Games. This came out in 2016, so it's not it's not an old game, but it's not a brand new game either. And it actually won the Kinder Spiel des Jahres in 2017, which is the cool. so Spiel des Jahres is the the German board game of the year, and really it's it's the premier award to win for board yeah. games and. This one was the Kinder, so the children's Spiel des Jahres. And they also have a, a Kinder Spiel, which is the more complex games. But the Kinder is, is the children's. That's what this one was. This one plays ages 6 and up. plays in about 20 minutes. And I would say that's that's pretty right. A 20-minute game for a four-player game is, is pretty accurate. So in Ice Cool, what you're doing is you have these little... These little penguins, and they're weighted at the bottom, kind of like weeble wobbles back in the it day. It looks like they kind of wobble back yeah. and yeah. Weeble wobbles wobble, but they don't fall down. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the same idea, except they're smaller than weeble wobbles, and they're um, kind of a harder plastic, I think. I'm just impressed that you were able to get weeble wobble into this podcast. Oh, yeah, man. I, I love some weeble wobbles <laughs> back in the day. I probably still have some of those, but this is not weeble wobbles. This is ice cool. So, what you're doing is you are either going to take the role of the catcher. And this is a two to four player game. So in a four player game, one person will be the catcher and the other three are going to be the runners. And it's interesting because what you do is you're going to take the game box and inside the game box you have four more boxes. And those are all going to line up to kind of form a school with five different rooms. And you're going to set up the catcher in one room and all the runners in another one. If you're the runner, you're trying to escape the catcher but also trying to get through the doorways so that you can get fish and those are going to give you fish points at the end of the game. The catcher is just trying to flick their little penguin to try to catch the other penguins that are out of class, or I don't really remember what the storyline is in this. I think it's maybe the hall monitor trying to catch the students or something like gotcha. that. And so it's what happens, you play through a round, and 
the round either ends if if the catcher catches all the the runners or if a runner gets all of their fish their three fish from the doorway how do you catch them touching them oh yeah sorry so you catch the runners the catcher catches the runners by touching them the runners get the fish by going through the doorway got you and at the end of the round you're just going to switch up and then everyone's going to get a chance to be the catcher and then once everyone's had a chance to be the catcher that's that's the end of the game you just count up your cards so when you get a fish card you flip it over and it's either one to three points, I think is what it is. And whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins. So when I first played this, we played this at a game cafe, my six-year-old and I. And he really wanted to play it. So we played a two-player game. And it just was, it just wasn't fun. I mean, you've got one person as a catcher. I love when that happens. Yeah. One person's a catcher, one person is the runner, and like there's not a whole lot to it. Yeah. But he loved it. And so every time we went to the cafe, he wanted to play play it. it. Well, we went to Barnes and Nobles one day, and it was a 50% off game. Ah, I love when that happens. Yeah. It was pretty fantastic. So we picked it up, and we were maybe a little reluctant, my wife and I, but we picked it up anyway, and we got it home, and we played a four-player game, even with a three-year-old, because he could play. It says yeah. six and up, but he, he played it. And we loved it. As a family game, we thought it was a lot of fun. It, it's it's not you know this super high strategy game yeah. or anything like that, but any game that all four of us can play together, and the three-year-old actually has a chance, you know, yeah. that that's pretty difficult to do. And... The, the way the the penguins, the way you flick them, you can move them in different directions. So if you flick it on the left side, it goes to the left, kind of spins around. You can get through multiple doorways. So you can get skilled at flicking these yes, little penguins. Yes, you definitely can. And so I'm not, but you can <laughs> from what I hear. So it could be a fun it could be a fun game for adults. But I think for a family game, the three-year-old's not going to you know flick it in the right way to make it jump over the wall or anything like that but he still has a chance especially yeah. when his dad is so terrible at this game but what do you, what do you think have you played this before I've, I've not played it i'm looking at it here um i got a question can you change the layout since they're different boxes or is it supposed to actually stay the same or do you not even know because um, it's as dean said these rooms are like different boxes right and so you're right Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure. I, th- I just I think it's only that one layout. I, I'd have to really kind of fiddle with them and see. Yeah. But even if you change out the layout, it's basically basically be it the would same. be the same game. Yeah. I think that it looks um, for family. It looks really fun. I, I I'm I'm interested in playing this with with the family. I'm thinking of my five year old in particular, and I think that my eight and ten year old could really get into it. Um, I. As an adult game, I, I, I'm i not that interested in it, but yeah. it might be fun. You yeah. know, sometimes those little dexterity kind of party fun games can be great with adults. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's I, I don't know, maybe at a at a convention you could, yeah, you know, have, have a fun. kind of a tournament yeah. style set up for adults. And I think that could be fun. And like I said, there is there is skill involved in this. So I could see somebody getting really, really good, good at this at game, but it's, it's not one that you're going to pull out you know four adults are going to pull out all the time but i mean what interests me too is i'm always looking for ways to get my kids more involved in board games and more excited about them so like i i do get really it's kind of like movies children's movies are some of them are great a lot of them are just okay but you know the more you watch them or whatever the more you kind of get into them or whatever I, i i when it comes to board games i may not be that excited about it but if it pulls them into liking the games more, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. So yeah, dexterity games are really good for that. Yeah. I think my kids can be really drawn to those type of games. So so yeah, I recommend it for a family. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. 
What so to get on? What to oh. get on Board Game Geek? Sorry, I kind of just cut you off. I'm oh, just, no. I was kind of curious as to what the what the rating was. Uh, why am I sucked in? I have to know the BGG rating six point nine. That's actually pretty high. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, that for for that for that game, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, so I mean, it's rate it's rated seven seventy nine, which seems seven hundred seventy nine game. Um, which seems really, really high, but really, honestly, anything inside that thousand is pretty high pretty when high. you have however many games, maybe a hundred thousand games or something yeah, plus that you're doing. on there. So, yeah. So, tell us about another game. Yeah. So, <clears throat> another game that I've been playing lately is Imminent Domain, and the reason I've been playing it is uh, I really like. I'll just put a plug in for uh, BoardGameArena.com. If you are new to gaming and you want and you don't have people to play with. It is an awesome website. It is entirely free unless you want to become a premium member, um, which I think I should because like I want to back these guys because they're doing some. It's just a phenomenal website, and it's a place where you can play. I mean, I can't. It's over fifty games. I know for sure. Maybe upwards towards a hundred board games. Uh, you can play online with folks. And Eminent Domain has been out since I think like. 2011 or something like that. So it's been around for for quite a while, uh, but they just added it to Board Game Arena, and so uh, it's kind of been one of those ones in the back of your mind where you're like, oh, I think I'd like to play that. Well, heck, whenever it's free, you might as well give it a shot. And uh, so I did, and I played a game, and I thought, hey, this is pretty fun. Imminent uh, Domain is by Seth Jaffe, and it's a tasty minstrel game. And in Imminent Domain, it's got it's got a space theme, so I like that uh, kind of a sp- like space galaxy theme. And what you're doing is you're actually um, building kind of a tableau, but you're also doing some hand management and a little bit of deck. Uh, building in your hand and so you're actually going out and you're searching for planet cards and you're putting those planet cards into your tableau well what I kind of like about it is that you automatically don't get that as part of your tableau you have this planet that you have not um, inhabited or whatever so you have to either go by military force with the cards from your hand and like kind of attack the planet or you can colonize the planet to inhabit it and whenever you get enough cards on there then you actually flip that card over and that planet is now yours so I like that that idea of like going out and finding new planets and then having to conquer the planet before I actually get it and uh, then those are worth victory points and you just kind of go through the game conquering planets you can also like uh, produce uh, whatever on the planet and, and trade it in uh, for more victory points and stuff like that. So I think it's a, a, it's a really fun game. The first you know five to ten plays, I really enjoyed it because I find myself jumping into games that are um, not too complex uh, because I'm always thinking of games that I can get other people involved in. Um, but and this one isn't isn't all that complex. But the, the, the drawback to that sometimes is, and it may be with Eminent Domain, when I'm at 20 to 25 plays, I'm kind of getting bored a little bit with it. I've lost a little bit of excitement. But they've got, I think, like four other expansions. Yeah. I mean, really, any game that you can get that many plays out of before is, you get... Is worth it, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's, think a so. Good, that's a good point. Sometimes I get down on games where I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of getting bored of it. But think of how many hours right. for... 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks I was able to get in. Yeah, that's great. This is one, I've not actually played this. I've had it on, I've had it on my radar for a while, but it's got a few things that really, really make me want to play it. One is it doesn't seem very, a super complex game. No. It's got a pretty short play time. Yes. I mean, it says 45 minutes online. 
Uh, 45 minutes is what it says for the for the game time that I'm looking on Board Game Geek. Yeah. And then it's a Tasty Minstrel Games game, which I tend to really like their games. I just... Does it feel thematic? I mean, I I really want a good space game that feels thematic, and I don't have one of those yet. It feels thematic. Okay. I think so. I, I really do. And, and maybe it, maybe it's because, like, you have to go and uh, conquer or inhabit a planet. You just don't get it real quick. You know what I mean? Like, you mm-hmm. you feel like you have to go research and go. And that's, like, one of the cards that you can that you have is you actually go and you research. And when you get it, you research and you pick a planet, but you don't get it until you, again, by military force or by colonizing the planet, it doesn't become part of your tableau and give you uh, victory points. I, I, I was, I was surprisingly, um, I liked it. Like I, 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 I kind of played it and went, uh, I, I hope that it's good. And I went, wow, this is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm gonna have to check it out on on Board Game Arena at some point. I'm a, <laughs> yes, you are, and you need to play me, yes. Here's head the thing. to head. I could play you, and I would play you. I'm a little intimidated by Board Game Arena. I've, I play some games on there, but I get intimidated because there's a lot of games on there that I haven't played before, and I always feel like I'm going to get on there, get Screw in a game up. where I've not played before, and somebody's like, well, who is this guy who's never played this game before? And it really, you know, they get really upset. But I am, I am improbably... <laughs> It may it's not good all the time, but I'm fearless. I will go into a game that I've watched five minutes of. I should have watched twenty minutes of how to play uh, okay. it. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, sometimes I'm a complete awful. I mean, just just terrible at the game and just get completely trounced. And they're probably thinking that. Yeah, but that's you know that's happened to me before where I haven't played the game and I just kind of jumped into it. But what I've seen is somebody when this happened to me, somebody walked me through the game. They've played Most it a bunch. Nice. Yeah. The yeah. only times I've had people angry are like Hanabi when they were playing a cooperative game. Oh, yeah. And I've had some people like, it actually wasn't geared towards me, but I saw them being a little kind of rude to some new players. And uh, then you kind of go in and go, hey, these are new players. Teach them, let's teach them how to play the game. Yeah. You know, so. Oh, that's lame. Yeah, I didn't like that. But I, I, yeah, I do like it. So yeah, check out Eminent Domain, and I, it's I, I'm gonna get it. I, I'm gonna get that, and I'll probably grab um, some of the expansions right off the rip to maybe make it a little more complex. Yeah, that's great. Well, the other game I've been playing lately is Detective, a modern crime board game. So this is a game by Portal Games, published this year in 2018, and the designer is uh, also the 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 guy who runs Portal Games, Ignacy Chebyshek. And this is a one to five player game. It plays in 120 to 180 minutes. It's oh yeah! <laughs> so two to three hours, and I'll go ahead and say, and it says ages 16 plus, which is that's right. You don't mm. want kids playing this game. It does have some language on the cards that we, you know, oh, you can yeah. kind of skip over or whatever. But, but so this is a cooperative game, and what you are doing is you're taking on the role of a detective. Imagine that a game called Detective. <laughs> You're, you each are your own role, but you're going to travel around these different locations together. And the, the mechanics of the game are super simple. What you're going to do is you're going to start off in a location. You're going to gather up as much uh, evidence and all of that that you can, try to find out about suspects and witnesses and things like that. And you are going to be traveling around to different locations. There's six locations every game. And you're trying to gather up all the information that you can because at the end of the game, at the end of the case, you're not just saying who who was the who is the suspect or who was the the murderer or whatever. You're actually you have to answer a series of questions, hmm. and that can be kind of difficult because it's a pass fail thing. 
If you answer the questions in the way that the game wants you to answer them, then you pass. If not, then you fail and you either have to redo the case or you're going to have to re-answer the questions. Do you have to get like a certain amount of the questions correct to be passed? I think so. I don't know exactly how that works. It kind of spits out a percentage, but I'm not really Uh, sure what the percentage to win is or anything like that. Um, I I don't even know if it says that. It just kind of tells you if you you pass or fail. But we played this a two-player game, and it took us about four hours. I played this with my wife, and she is not one to play four-hour games. I am not one to Mine, play four-hour games. My wife but. wouldn't. If I told her four hours, when I tell her over an hour, she starts to go, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. But, okay, my, my wife is a gamer. She she loves games. Theme is tends to be pretty important to her, and she loves this sort of theme. We've played Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which, which is this type of game you know you're the you're you're trying to answer a series of questions gathering information but these kind of who done it detective type game she is all over it and so so does she hours, watch like CSI and those shows or is that not yeah we used in, to we intriguing. used to watch we used to watch CSI every week with a group of friends and we love Sherlock and you know those, those kind of games Sherlock are, is the best yes I love that. yeah I love Sherlock we love it this this is kind of like Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which I'm not really going to go into, but if you've played that before, it kind of has a similar feel, but it's it's an up-to-date version of that, and the mechanics work a little bit differently. So, really, like I said, it's super simple. You just go to different locations and gather information. What sets it apart is the, one, is the, the timing. So, you start off with a certain amount of days that you have to be able to solve this particular case. And in each day, you have a certain amount of hours. So let's say you have eight hours in a day. Well, the only, pretty much the only like big mechanic is the time mechanic. And so when you travel to a new location, that costs you an hour of time. Mm. And then when you're gathering some evidence at this location, that might cost two to four hours of time. So, okay, you do the math in your head. Manage your time. Yeah, right? you have eight hours in a day. Well, you could spend five of those hours just going to one location and gathering evidence from Got there. Got you. That's kind of cool. So, yeah, it's it's really neat because all the game pretty much is just a deck of cards per case plus the board and the little pieces that you move around. Yeah. But the deck of cards is not, it's not huge. It's maybe, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 cards or something like that. But it's probably more than that per case. But you're definitely not going to go through all of those. Now, if you read all of those cards, you would have all the information that you need to be able to answer the questions. But you only have so much time. And so if you get through half the deck, you know, there's there's some pieces that you're missing from that case. But I really like that. I like that you're not necessarily going to have all the information. Yeah. You have to choose wisely which location you're going to go to, how much time you're going to spend to go to those. It looks here like the interwebs are involved, which that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, so those are the other kind of two pieces I was going to bring up. One is that when you you gather information, you are going to enter in people. You're going to enter in maybe fingerprints. Any kind of data that you get from these cards, you're going to enter into their own system. This is their own database that they came up with. So you need connection to the internet to play this game. You do, yes. You for sure do need uh, internet connection. So their database is, it's pretty neat because it feels as if you're entering in this information to a police database. I see a picture of it. It looks cool. Yeah, it's it's really neat. So it's going to show, you know, headshots of, not headshots. Um, It's going to (laughs) show. You're playing Fortnite all of a sudden. Oh boy, it's gonna, it's going to show pictures of 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 the suspects that you're going to come in contact with. It might show a picture of 
you know, a piece of evidence. It might be on the card, but it, it could potentially be in the database as well. So you enter that in, and the game comes with five cases. And from case to case, this information is going to carry on, from what yeah. I understand. So you're going to want to play this so the work, whole... they all work together. Yeah, you're going to want to play the whole game out with the same group. Um, the other thing is some of the cards or some of the some of the information from the database will have a Wi-Fi symbol on there. I think this is really cool. If it has a Wi-Fi symbol on there, you can go and look up on the actual internet information about that thing that it's that is that that it has the Wi-Fi yeah. symbol for. Now you can't just go look up information all willy-nilly. It has to be on that specific piece that it tells you about. So it might That's be cool. a person but it's an actual person in history. And so you go up and you look up information of, you know, Wikipedia or whatever. And it's it's not just a gimmick. It actually has questions at the end that might refer back to what you looked up on the internet. So you really have to do some extensive research on some of these. That people. could teach, you know, high schoolers research skills and stuff like that. I yeah. Mean, especially, but you you said it probably need to be 16 plus, but you're still. Yeah, you're still high school. You're still I, in high school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, That's kind of cool. My wife, who is a teacher, hearing you say looking up Wikipedia information <laughs> for research, she might be cringing at that, but. Uh, first of all, as as Michael Scott would say, we can trust anything on Wikipedia because anyone can post on Wikipedia. That's true. Michael Scott knows what he's talking about. But okay, we've only played one case of Detective, but this is one I'm I'm super pumped about. It's a great game. Uh, four hours is a long time, and yeah. it says two to three hours. That might be more normal. It might take longer as a two player game. I'm not really sure. And it was your first time to play. Right, right. And so we were trying to figure that out. But yeah. I mean, I can explain the rules in about one minute and then wow. just kind of jump into the game. Wow. And which, you know, that's that's great. Super thematic. So I really recommend it. I'm going to come back. I'd like us to come back and talk about this more as we've played more cases. I think that would be great. And I think yeah. that I need to get my wife roped into playing that with y'all. Yeah, sometime. yeah, absolutely. Now, you guys would have to play the first case and then By we can just kind of join in together. That. We can handle that i I, i'm looking on board game geek and like there haven't been a ton of ratings here but it's at eight and a half right now which i thought holy moly that's i've heard a ton of people talking about this game i really have um so there's like 723 ratings so that's not like nothing no yeah it's only been out for a few months and so i would i think probably the playtime scares some people away but if you're, it would in, probably scare me away, not because of me personally, but because of the people I play with. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't, I, most of them don't want to play a three-hour game, so I'd be like, uh. Yeah, but what I would say, so if this game sounds at all interesting, and if you like detective, you know, TV shows and things like that, you definitely need to try this game out. Now, each case plays that long, so each case plays what two to three to four hours. Yeah. Okay, but. Each case is broken up into days. And so I've known people that have said, okay, we're going to sit down That's and we're cool. going to play this one day, yeah. which might take 30 to 45 minutes or something like that. So so if you're interested in this, the playtime scares you, I really recommend picking it up anyway and and just playing it that way. You don't have yeah. to play it all at one time. Now, I would recommend trying to play that whole case within one. a week or two weeks or something like that so it, a lot of the information stays fresh in your mind. But you can take notes and all that good stuff, too. You know, as you're talking about this, this, me look thinking of people I can get involved, like, I'm thinking of my parents. And, like, they're huge, like, NCIS and CI, yeah. you know, CSI. Like, they love those shows. And I have introduced them to some games, and they will play some, but it's usually simple rules. But if you say you could teach in a minute how to play, yeah. and then we could all get into this, 
and that's actually it kind of excites me. I I, oh, I think yeah. I'd like to have it and take it over to them and say, hey, will you guys play this game? Let's let's figure this out together. Yeah, and if you. If you have the right group, you could really kind of role play this too, right? You could, you know, have a. I mind... like to role play yeah. on games. It's fun. We do too, but you can, you know, you can have a mind map set up, or even just like a whiteboard, writing down, you know, these circles and yeah. you know, mapping out from there. You could have some coffee and donuts if they. Okay, sorry, that was pretty lame, but you could, you could, you know, do like you're actually in a, a police precinct or something like that. So even though you say it was lame. I'm pretty much always game for coffee and donuts. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I guess you could do that for any game, but it might feel more thematic when you that's, do it for this one. Uh, so. That's right. Well, that's what we've been playing lately. Let's take a look at our review for the week, which is Everdell. Yay! Everdell was published in 2018 by Starling Games, plays two to four players, ages 13 and up, and plays in about 40 to 80 minutes. It's designed by James A. Wilson, and the art is by Andrew Bosley. In Everdale, you're going to be taking on the role of the leader of a group of critters, either hedgehogs, squirrels, mice, or turtles, and you'll be building up your city. Each player starts the game with two character meeples and a certain number of cards based on the amount of players and your starting position. You'll be gathering resources and playing cards into your tableau to earn victory points in order to build up the best city in Everdale. You'll do this by performing one of three actions on your turn. The first action is placing a worker. You'll place a worker on a number of different places including basic action spaces that will immediately give you resources like twigs, resin, pebbles, and berries, forest locations that will also give you resources but these spaces vary from game to game, destination cards that have been played into the tableau that will typically give you special abilities, events and special events giving you victory points if you've met the determined requirements, and other places on the board that will allow you to discard cards for points or resources. The second action you can take is building a card from your hand or the meadow, which is the area with the cards that anyone can build from. You play the cards into your tableau by paying the cost listed on the side of the card. You'll either be building construction cards or critter cards. Many of the construction cards will allow you to put critters into your tableau on a later turn for free, similar to chaining from Seven Wonders. There are also five different types of cards. The Tan Travelers, which are a one-time use card. Green Production, which will allow you to immediately gain resources or another ability, as well as gain the same production when entering into the spring and autumn. The Red Destination cards, which will give you new worker placement spots. Blue Governance cards that will give you bonuses that are triggered when you play a certain type of card in the future. And finally, the Purple Prosperity cards, which give you bonus points at the end of the game. You're only allowed to place a total of 15 cards into your tableau unless a card directs you otherwise. The third and last action is to prepare for the next season. The game begins in late winter, so each season is bringing you closer to the start of the next winter. When you cannot take any more actions, or you choose not to take any more actions, you'll need to prepare for the next season. When you take this action, you'll gather all of your meeples from the board. You'll then look on the Evertree to determine what you will gain for the next season. The spring will give you another worker and allow you to activate your green production cards. The summer will give you another worker and then let you take two cards from the meadow. Autumn will give you two workers and activate your green production cards again. You then start a new season even if the others are still in the last season. In the last round, once all players have passed, you add up your points and whoever has the most points is the winner. So let's go back and see what we thought of Everdell. So Everdell was 
funded on Kickstarter back in January of this year of 2018. And when I first saw Everdell, I think I clicked the backer button to back it, and then I backed out the last minute because <laughs> looking at the game, I thought, oh, I just don't know if the component, I mean, I don't know if the gameplay is going to match with the components. So I ended up not doing it, but I picked it up once it was released to the public. And well, let me ask you this. What drew you in? You said that you almost backed it. Was it the components? Oh, that's what we're about to talk about. We're oh. about to talk about the, the components in the artwork. But uh, So why don't we just jump into that part of the review. John, why don't you tell us what you think about the components and artwork of the game? Well, I feel like you were on a train right then, Dean. All right. And you were going down the tracks, okay. and I just totally derailed you. <laughs> and so, I, first of all, I will apologize about that. I will tell you what I feel about the components, and I'll toss it back your way. Um, I loved them. I remember when uh, you opened the game for the first time, and I saw the thickness of the board yeah. that lays flat on the table. And I first, I went, wow, that's a very thick board. That's pretty cool. Um I remember holding the coins. Now, you have the collector's edition. Right, right. So the coins are different, and I thought, wow, these are very heavy. Like, they almost felt like pennies or something in my hand. Like, yeah. I thought, wow, that's that's pretty neat. Um, the artwork is ridiculous. Yeah. In a very good way. Like, yeah. I, I thought... <laughs> I'm watching this. I'm looking at not watching. I'm looking at this going. If I designed a game, who who did the artwork on this? Andrew Bosley. Andrew is the guy Bosley who did the artwork. Like it. it's so good. I'm thinking, man. The, if I had all the money in the world, I would call Andrew Bosley and be yes. like, hey, it's that good. Uh, it really has for me. I'm a huge like Chronicles and Narnia fan, mm-hmm. and so it almost has that feel because you're these little woodland creatures, and and, and I just kind of felt like I was in Narnia as I was, you know playing this game so all the components were all good uh, we'll talk about some drawbacks i will say that some people had a few complaints about some of the components but i'll save that for later what do you think dude yeah yeah i mean i don't i don't think anyone out there is going to look at everdale and say the artwork is awful in fact this is this might be and if they do they're wrong <laughs> that's exactly right they are wrong this is probably the best artwork and i know this might sound like an exaggeration this is probably the best artwork out of any game for sure that I have in my collection. But I remember when we when I first got the game in the mail, with the collector's edition, it has this slip case that goes yeah. over top of the cover. And it just has different pieces of artwork on there. And I just, I mean, before even opening up the game, I just stared at the artwork. I mean, it's that beautiful. And when was the last time you did that for a board uh, game? It, probably not. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's another game that I've done that for, but this this artwork is amazing. And the components are actually fairly simple. You have a board. Okay, you have this giant 3D tree that goes on the board, which is not simple, and it's not even necessary. But my goodness, it just adds to the aesthetics of the game. It's it's amazing. It gives like that vertical. I mean, just adds to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That vertical makes you feel like you're. It's something more. Yeah, you don't get that in pretty pretty much any other board game that's out there. Most games are pretty two dimensional. So so the tree is amazing. You have a a deck of cards, which is pretty big. I mean, it's it's a hundred and I'm wanting to say it was let's see, a hundred and twenty eight critter and construction cards. Forty eight of them are unique, and each one of those you know has their own artwork on it. Those are amazing. You have the the event cards, which there's not much artwork, but even then, it's it's really cool looking. The mini the mini forest cards are are pretty cool looking. But then you get to the resources, and in this game, you've got berries, twigs, resin, and pebbles. And each of those is is 
is really just fantastic. I mean, the berries are these little rubber blueberries. The yeah. the twigs look like twigs, and they can roll off the table. We'll talk about that later. The resin tokens are are really neat looking. You know, little they look like the crystal pieces that you find in lots of other games. And then the pebbles look like you know you can go outside and pick up pebbles. And yeah, that's the pieces. Apparently, and, you can build anything with a twig, a piece of resin, yeah. and a pebble. <laughs> that's all you need. Giant. You can build a, a university. That's all. That's all you have to have. Uh, okay, and then I, I know I'm not. I'm not going to try to spend too much time harping on this. But then you get to these wooden workers, and in the in the base game, you've got four different types of workers. You've got hedgehog. I think it's hedgehog, mice, squirrels, and and uh, turtles. Turtles. And they're all unique. They look like the characters, and it's. I mean, I cannot say enough good things about the components or the artwork in the game. It's just, it's it's fantastic. But that's what hooked me into wanting to kickstart it. But it was there the gameplay go. that I, I was concerned you. about. So why don't, why don't we talk about the gameplay? What do you think about, about how the game plays? Okay, so I was pretty excited about playing this game. Um, I'd seen, like you said, I'd seen the components. I'd seen them online. I had heard very good things about it. I was immediately drawn in by the artwork. And I was... I don't want to say I was waiting to be disappointed, but you know what I mean? Like, or sure. just kind of bracing for, I love, I'm excited, so excited about this game. So often I'll be pumped about a game. I'll go into it and be like, meh, it was right. pretty fun. Um, but it gripped me from the rip. I know that Dean, one of the cool things was, was he taught me the game in five minutes yeah. or something. Like it was quick. Yeah. Um, if anyone has ever played, uh, like seven wonders there's some similarities to that there's definitely worker placement and things that uh, that seven wonders doesn't have but it has like that um kind of chaining mechanism where if i build a school and i you know spend my twigs and my resin or whatever i don't know what it cost my resources to build a school then i could actually put a teacher creature in there for free mm-hmm. kind of like in seven wonders where you where you can do that so i really enjoyed that i thought that the gameplay was i mean just f- phenomenal very seamless mm-hmm. and i like when games work together yeah uh, where it seems like the theme and everything flows together and has a harmony yeah. uh, i felt like the resources um, the buildings kind of i don't know how to say they just felt like they cost the appropriate amount of resources like i wouldn't sit in back in some games i'll wait six turns to actually build something i'm waiting forever and i'm kind of bored because all i'm doing is gathering 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 Mm -hmm. but on the flip side it wasn't like i just got it immediately so um i'll let you kind of keep going but i i quite enjoyed it yeah i did too so i there's a game that i really like called imperial settlers this is a, a portal games by by ignacy chevichek the one who did detective that we talked about earlier and there's it's just pure tableau building essentially yeah. and so when i first saw this game i didn't know i mean I, I guess i knew that that was a part of the game but i i just assumed that the worker placement was like the big part so of the it game. It was a heavy worker placement instead of tableau. Right, right. But man, was I wrong. The worker placement part is essential and it's and it's important, but really it's kind of dwarfed a little bit by the yeah. by the tableau building, which is something that I really, really enjoy. Me too. How those cards link together, like you talked about, chaining like they do from Seven Wonders, I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, the way the game ramps up this en- engine building that you have, you start off and you play four seasons. In the first season, you might only be able to gather resources. Potentially, you can get one one card in your tableau. I can't or something. really imagine getting out two. You'd have to yeah. really have drawn well to start off the game. 
but you're not going to be able to do very much on the first in the first season. However, once the game ramps up, you can only build 15 cards in your tableau. And I remember the first time I played this, and I thought, "There's no way you can build 15 cards in your tableau." I didn't even <laughs> I do thought one that in the too first at first. Season. Yeah, but but it ramps up so well, and so by that third and fourth season, you're able to do a lot of different yeah. actions on your turn, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think that I could have put 17 to 18, and I was having to make those decisions at the end, right. which I liked. Right. Okay, which one is more important? Um, yeah, I, I, I thought the exact same thing whenever we first started. Like, how in the world can you get 15 into this? Yeah. And then, how in the world can I make what's in my hand only be 15 and get the most amount of points? And mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So so that's that's kind of how the, the gameplay works. I yeah. was really, really pleasantly surprised when I, I played this at a game night and then I ended up picking it up right afterwards because I thought the gameplay was just so strong. Really, the the theme integrates so well into the gameplay. Yes. I mean, it all just works well together. Well, the only problem I had with the gameplay is that Dean beat me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it was pretty close. And it, yeah, it was, but it was... Wow. Yeah, winning a game always helps with your with yeah. with your end end review of the game, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I would also say as what Dean just mentioned is I don't personally own it, but as soon as I was done playing it, it went to the top of my like straight up top of my list. That's the game I want more than any other game at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some really great games coming out, but that's just one I'm like I got to own that game. Yeah. Simple to teach amazing to play yeah yeah i really agree so okay what we like to do is we want to talk about the gameplay we also would just in general want to kind of point out some of the highlights and lowlights of the game so john why don't you point out i know we've talked about several of these probably sure but some of the highlights well i'll just game. say really quickly again the artwork's awesome yeah um the gameplay is amazing what i overall like about it though is there just seems to be some it fl- it harmonizes well. Yeah. Everything flows together well in the game. Mm-hmm. The theme matches what you're doing, and um, I'll actually say one thing that some people say are lowlights and complain about this game. And I've said this, seen this a lot in threads. Is it's nothing new. Mm. I've seen that over like yeah, it's nothing new. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be new to be right. great. Right. Yeah. It's like a song. You don't have to have a new style of music. Yeah. You can't. Oh well, that's just another country song, right? With a female singer playing guitar. <laughs> that doesn't. You can't say that, right? Because sometimes right. everything just comes together, and you just go, "Wow, that was an awesome experience or an awesome song." And that's my big highlight. And me combating those people that say, "Well, it's just, it's just, a, you know, it's just worker placement and tableau building." No, it just all comes together and sings a beautiful song. I love it. Yeah, and you know, most games. I mean, there aren't very many games out there that you're like, that oh, I've never done this before. Exactly right. And if and if there are, you know, if those pieces, if those games do kind of come up, eventually other games are going to come along and they're going to do some of those same mechanics that 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 game does, yeah. and potentially more more than likely do them better. You know, and so I, I I'm okay with that. I'm okay. You know, worker placement has been done before. Tableau building has been done yeah. before. But the way they integrate with a theme that I yes. absolutely love, I think, is just fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and the way that worker placement works with the tableau building is seamless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just, I don't know. I just, I don't like that argument. Yeah, no, It just no. seems silly to me. Oh, the, it's not been done. The way I see it, if it's a good game, it's a good game. Who cares Who what cares? came before it? You know, if, if it's a good I, game, let's let's play it. So We are on the same page yes, in that book. Yeah, but I... I definitely agree with the things that you said. You know, the artwork is a huge highlight. The the components are a huge highlight. 
the the way the way that all of that comes together, I think is just is is really cool. One one thing that that kind of stuck out to me too, you have a hand limit of eight cards. And sometimes that can seem like it would be frustrating. Like, what am I going to do with these cards that I'm not going to use? Oh, yeah. So one of the highlights that I really liked is being able to discard those cards to get resources or at the end of the game being able to discard those cards to get points I think is really cool. So that's... I love that. I don't know why I didn't say that. But usually you're in... You got the hand and you're like... Oh, I just got to waste a turn. Yeah. To discard some cards, but you get something in this game for yes. it. Yeah. I never, and this is just my opinion, I never felt like that was an issue at all. That yeah. that I didn't have something that I could do that was of value. You know, even at the very end of the game, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make about, okay, I've got 14 cards out there. I can only get this one card out there. So I need to make sure I have the resources to get the, the most points out of the yeah. game. So there's, there's a lot of thinkiness to it, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. You know, that's, yeah. the, that's the other thing. I love... I love the fact that there's a lot to do. There's a lot of decisions to make, but those decisions those decisions don't overwhelm me, and I can enjoy no. it and not feel like I have a you know a hurt head at the end of the game from so much thinking. I, you know, it's it's not a gateway game. I wouldn't say, no, no. but I think if someone's not played, I don't. I think they could get it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they might not understand the strategy and stuff, but I think by the end of the game, they would un- they would get the mechanics and they'd be good to go. Yeah. And you know, gateway is kind of a weird term. We'll, yeah. We'll talk about that when we get to our five games that got us into the hobby because there's some games on that list that are not gateway games, but they're games that got us into the hobby. Hundred percent. So I could totally see this being a game that gets somebody into the hobby. Oh my gosh. Because of you know the table presence alone. If you're walking by and you see someone playing this, when I first played it, we played it at a restaurant. Uh, with a, a group of four of us, people said something. Didn't yeah, they? I mean, because you cannot, you cannot what not you see that, you know. And so you're like, "What is that? What's going on here? That art's cool." So it's, and think of like all the Lord of the Ring fans and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that. Just if you're a fan of fantasy, yeah. let me say that. Yeah. You're gonna be like, "Oh, what is that game? That yeah. looks pretty neat." Yeah, yeah. It kind of has that. It very much has that feel. Okay, now what about low lights? I know we've been, you know, really harping on how great this game is and all these pieces, but uh, what are some things that that might have been not as good for you? Okay, um, so and I've heard some people say this, we didn't really experience it, but some of the components like the twigs and the berries, I've heard a lot of people complain about they'll roll off the table, particularly the twigs. Um, they think they rolled a little bit while we were playing. Yeah. But I I didn't see them rolling off the table. Now, I will say I wasn't playing with kids who were leaning on the table or knocking their hands around and stuff like that. Now, if I played it with my kids, I might be like, okay, I'd need to get some kind of a tray to right. put these into. I probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have you know too much of a problem with that. What do you think? Yeah, not not too bad. I, I We did have that as an issue. The first game that I played, we used bowls, and so it kept all those resources idea, yeah. together. But I will say this. They're doing another, well, it's closed now, but they did another Kickstarter for the expansion, Pearl Brook. Uh, we're not going to talk a whole lot about that. But one of the things they integrated into that the Kickstarter for the expansion was you can go in there and you can actually order new twigs that, and for a really low price, I think it was like $6 or something like that. And you get these new twigs that have this little like raised edge on it, so they're not going to roll off the table. So I really appreciate when they listen. Yeah, when people, designers, and 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 develop, they listen and go, okay, let's do something about it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I agree. So so I definitely see that as a low light, but not not a huge uh, not a huge low light. You know what we need to not forget to do, Dean, is to give this 
designer some props. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll come back to that. When <laughs> we we can't. We, we got to. We got to not forget that. Yes, I agree. Okay, so one of the lowlights that I have, and okay, I mentioned that I had the collector's edition. This is not an issue in the regular edition, and it's really not even that big of a deal. But as beautiful as all the components are and artwork and all that. The metal coins that come in the collector's edition, they are bright, dude. I mean, they're, yeah, it's it's gold doubloons from a pirate game. Yes. Which isn't a huge deal, but it, it seems a little out of place. I would have liked to have something that had maybe more of a matte finish or, you know, kind of a dull yes. cut on there or something. I like thought that. this, when Dean mentioned that, I had already thought the same exact thing. They look like pirate coins yeah. in a fantasy you know, woodland creature game. I just thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. But yeah. the regular edition doesn't have those. Right, right, right. But that's really, really minor. I mean, if you wanted to grab some other metal coins to replace those, you could. I'm not going to. I'm still going to use them, yeah. but I just wish they were a little They were nice lower. and heavy, like yeah. I mentioned earlier. They felt really good. There were some people, too, that complained. I didn't experience this because... Um, when Dean and I were playing, we were playing two players, but have, have said that the tree like blocks part of the board is you kind of have to look around it and that can be difficult. We didn't experience it. Have you before? That's not my experience. So I've, I've played four players and I could see how that would happen, especially if you didn't have a lot of space. What I think is the case is if you're kind of sitting behind the tree, like if the the tree is more at the center of the table, then it would be hard to see. In my case, I was sitting on that side of the tree side of the board, but I sat kind of maybe in front of the tree, so seeing the cards wasn't that difficult. So yeah. I, I guess it it really depends on your your gaming setup. I guess the other this is again really minor, but a, a drawback for me was there were some take that cards in the game, and it's not a big deal mostly because. If I'm playing with somebody who's not really a take that person, we just kind of ignore those and don't really do it. It's really minimal in the game, in the base game, but but they're they're present. And yeah. so if you really don't like any kind of take that, you could leave them out. I don't know if you need to or just I don't know. It's it's again pretty minimal, and so it's it's not you know all in your face take yeah. that i'm not against take that no I mean, i'm not either it depends on what game you're playing and it yeah. could feel awkward in the middle of the game it didn't in this in my opinion no and okay i love take that games i don't want take that in games that shouldn't be there and i don't think that this game really needs that but again it's it's very minor yeah that being said when i first played the game i didn't realize this but there's there are these rugwort cards that come as part of i think they're part of one of the smaller kickstarter expansions maybe and there are just a few of them, but these cards are mean, and I would never play with them in the game. I just, and I didn't realize that that was part of the expansion, but it was, you know, you might gain points from, from someone else's buildings or make somebody else, you know, swap hands with another opponent or, or get rid of cards in their city or something. So that's not really my thing in this type of game. But again, for the Rugwarts one, I would just leave them out. It's not that yeah. big of a deal. But. Those are those are really kind of my low lights of the game. But any, anything else you want to say before we kind of get to the final review, John? Let's dive in. All right, all right, let's get there. So we have been raving on this game, and it is <laughs> it's pretty obvious that we really like the game, and that is that's it. I mean, you you know we're not we're not holding our our, our cards yeah. tight to the chest or anything. You know how we feel about this game. Yeah. But what we do in our reviews is we like to use a six a six meeple scale and so six if the game is a six meeple 
it is a great game, one that you will never pass up on, one that is at the top of your you know best games of all times. It's it's up there. Up there yep. And if it's a one, you cannot pay me to play this game. I will never <laughs> play this game again. And so, so John, why don't we just kind of get right into that? What do, what yep. do you think about the your scale? Your okay, game? so first of all, I wanna I wanna say that being our first podcast giving such a high rating as I'm going to give is not going to be um, what I do. I'm not one of those guys that's going to rate highly everything. I love everything and it's so fun. I'm going to be pretty blunt about Mm -hmm. games. So uh, with that caveat, I'm going to, I'm going to give it six meeples. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I'm going to give it six meeples is again, the theme, everything was just like a, just very well packaged it was knitted together almost perfectly. I'm having a very difficult time finding lowlights. And on top of that, it reminds me somewhat of some games that I have rated six that are very high. And it actually almost right now seems like it's a little better. Now, I will say this. I haven't played it a lot. Um, when I get to in a year from now, we'll go back or something and we'll review it. I am slightly concerned, and this is like, again, one of the most minimal things I'm kind of nitpicking right now, that after a certain amount of gameplays, I might get a little bit bored because it's some pretty simple decisions. But I'm giving it a six. I'm standing with it. I think it's awesome. That means, like, go buy it, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree, and and I'm right there with you. I'm a six on this. I mean, all across the board, I just absolutely love this game. I would say, I I don't know if my my score will drop. You know, a year from yeah. now, I would like to see more cards. I, I did back the Pearlbrook expansion that we'll talk about at some point. That probably doesn't add what I wanted it to add, but yeah. I'm excited about playing the expansion. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But what I would like to see are more critters more of the the construction buildings that can go out there so i, I i'm gonna i'm at a strong yeah. six right now and i could i'd be surprised if it comes down to a five yeah. next year but okay we mentioned this a little bit earlier but i, I didn't want to leave i didn't want to lose this i guess but the designer of this game yes as far as we can tell this is the only game that that james wilson has done i, I didn't see anything else on on board game geek other than everdale and the expansion yes James, dude, you need to make more games. <laughs> I am, I'm all in on what you come out with next. I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm so pumped about this game, and I just want to see what else you, yes. what you have in store for us. We need like a meeple cheer, like <sighs> yes, James, yes. James, James, <laughs> James. No, I mean I agree with that. That's it's that's crazy to uh, to come out and this be your, you know, your first game and just to, I mean, again, in my opinion, just knock it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. So that's Everdell for us. John gave it a six. I also gave it a six. And now let's look at the five games that got each of us into the modern board gaming hobby. All right, so I'm pretty excited about this next segment. Dean and I are going to share the five games that got us into the modern board gaming hobby. It's a topic that I'm very interested in whenever I talk to folks that have been playing games for a while. It's a question I ask all the time. What games sucked you into this hobby? What got you in? And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about that. So Dean, tell me the first game that really got you into modern board gaming. All right. So 
give me just a second. I want to talk about a little bit before that. I grew up playing games pretty much my entire life. I've got three older sisters. We would play all kinds of games with my parents, like, you know, Scrabble, Monopoly, all of those. Yeah. And, and so that's always been prevalent in my life. Growing up, my grandparents had this detached garage, and they had several games in there, old games uh, like awesome. Manhunt. I think maybe that was from the 60s or 50s or something. They had this game called Clean Sweep that we played all the time. So games have always been a part of my life. But looking at the games that really got me into you know, the, the modern board gaming yeah. hobby, I would say my first game would be Yahtzee. Yahtzee! Yeah, and Yahtzee is a game that I have played most of my life. But when I got out of college, my wife and I were married, and we would have friends over to play Yahtzee all the time. And, I mean, seriously, every night we would play Yahtzee for hours. So we just we didn't really know what else was out there. And Yahtzee was just a really fun game. This was an old game. It came out in 1956, designed by Edwin Lowe. And it was published by probably lots of people, but Milton Bradley was one of them. And what you do if you've never played Yahtzee, you're basically rolling these dice a few times and you're just writing your scores down into the score pad. It's pretty simple. It's kind of mathy, you know, figuring out your scores and all that. But I, I still love Yahtzee love today. And if I were to do a, a, a list of my top roll and write games, Yahtzee's going to be on that list probably. I like it that much still. So my first game that got me in is, is Yahtzee. What about you? You know, some people might say, before I go into mine, oh, yeah. boo, you're not allowed yeah. to, to <laughs> yeah. do Yahtzee. Yeah. You, what would you say to someone that says that, Dean? Yeah, you know, you're entitled to your own wrong opinion. But, <laughs> but, and I, I know that I have some nostalgia factor into this. Yeah. So so I get that, that that plays into it. You know, it was it was something that we did as as part of our marriage early on. You yeah. know, it, it was a relationship builder. So... I get that, but it's still fun. What's interesting to me, real quick, is that I haven't played Yahtzee in forever, and I don't own it. And hearing you talk about it kind of makes me want to go buy it. Like I'm, not, I really, seriously, like I'm like, you know what? I think I don't think I've actually introduced Yahtzee to my children. Oh yeah, maybe we've played it once or something, but I don't think I don't think I have. And so that just I don't know that that interests me. So my first game, it kind of goes along with what Dean says. It's a game that I used to play at my grandparents' house. And I have these very fond memories of sitting at my grandparents' kitchen table with this like sour, sweet tea my grandma would make. <laughs> you kind of make you <laughs> purse your lips or whatever as you're drinking it. But it, it was it was cool. And I played with my dad and my uncle and my brother. Um, <clears throat> and it's a trick-taking game. And because of the nostalgia fact, like it is still probably my favorite trick-taking game of all time. And that's mm-hmm. Rook. I love Rook. And down in the South, we like our Rook. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it, really, I don't know if I, there's much need to explain it. You're just taking tricks. It's like spades if you've never if if you've never played a trick-taking game or don't understand the term trick-taking. It's spades or hearts or as something that you would say in like Euchre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Euchre was the game that we played. And I, I played Rook. When I moved to Tennessee, that was what everyone else played. I just played Euchre with my family and, and Rook with my friends. But I, I really enjoy Rook. It's not as good as Euchre, but it's it's good. <laughs> well, we might have to fight about that. <laughs> but by the way, this was actually um, uh, designed by George Parker. 
which I didn't know until I went back and looked at this for the podcast. And that was one of the Parker Brothers, which is pretty interesting. And I think that it was like 1906. So this is an old game. Wow. And it's still fun. I own Rook, and I still love to get together with the family and play. So that would be my the the game that kind of – and I I, the same as Dean. I played Monopoly and Scrabble and stuff like that when I was kids. I really enjoyed that. But Rook was one of those that it sucked me in and – kind of started that transition into something a little bit deeper for me. So how about your number two? What's the next step that you took, Dean, to get into this hobby? So I would imagine my number two is probably the first game that got a lot of people into modern board gaming hobby. It's a game that came out in 1995 by Klaus Tuber and now is published by Cosmos, but it's had lots of publishers along the way. And that is none other than Catan or Catan. So when, when it came out, it was Settlers of Catan, if you've heard Catan. The settlers. And uh, now it's just Catan. But that, that's a game where you're just rolling dice, gathering resources, you're building settlements and cities along the way. And first person to 10 points in that base game wins. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a race game. I... I, again, maybe it's nostalgia reasons. Reasons I actually still like Catan. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I've I've got a pimped out 3D printed version of Catan that I still That's play. Awesome. You know, a couple times a year. But it, it really like it introduced me to this idea that there are other games out there that are that are fun. You know, that you yeah. have to think about. That a little more thinky. Yeah, that are strategic. And so so I again I still like Catan. I'll play it, um, but that's that's the second game that yeah. almost kind of the first game that really really got me. Yeah, I would say in in our, our list, they're going to have some similarities on here, and I think the listeners are a lot of them are probably going to think the same some of the same things. Uh, my second game is the same as Dean's. I if I were to say what is the gateway game or what has been the gateway game over the last what, 15, 20 years? When did mm. Catan come 95, out? 95. So, yeah. Oh, wow, man. Ooh. It just, even longer than 20 years. years. Ago, yeah. yeah. What has been the gateway game? If we had a poll, I would say Catan would probably win by a landslide. Mm-hmm. And and so that was it. I remember um, my brother and some of our friends, someone had bought Catan, had heard about it, brought it over to our house. I was young in my marriage. I was probably anywhere between 10 and 15 years ago. And we sat it down on a table and I fell in love with it. I did. Like I, 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 I just playing it. It just kind of again what you said. It opened my mind to more games, to more strategic games. It's not. Ju- there's not just Monopoly out there. There's not just you know whatever. The, the, this there's some more games there. And um, I will say for me personally, unlike Dean, now I'm kind of eh on Catan or Catan. Um, what. I don't love about it is I get annoyed by the trading resources sometimes. Uh, yeah. Depending yeah. on who you're playing with, it can just be like, oh, please let it be my turn again because yeah. these people are arguing about whether one or two or it just drives me nuts. I mean, with that said, it's still a fun game. Mm-hmm. And if someone was interested in getting into board gaming, it would probably be one of my top choices actually to say, go try this game and see if you like it. Yeah. Um, but it, it roped me in and again opened up my eyes to some other games and stuff so what about your number three yeah so once i played Catan for several years that really got me thinking i wonder if there's anything else out there yeah yeah, and so that's when things really just opened up and so what i did is i just went online and i just started searching you know top board games and i came across a website called boardgamegeek.com which you will hear us you will hear us refer to 
a lot. All the information that we're getting for our podcast, really, we're, we're pulling it from, from Board Game Geek. Yeah. It's like the premier website. And so at the time, there was a game called Puerto Rico that was up towards the top of that list. It may have been at the top of the list at the time. Uh, and so Puerto Rico was my number three game that, that kind of got me down this path. It was released in 2002 by Andreas Seafarth. Mm. And it was published or is published by Rio Grande Games. And in Puerto Rico, it's an action selection game. So you're going to be taking these cards that will tell you what to do. So you might take a card that will allow you to, you know, to build a, a plantation yeah. in, in Puerto Rico. Or it might allow you to to ship goods or to sell goods or you know, trade goods or whatever. It's a, it's not a super complex game. But here's the thing. When I first got it, I taught myself how to play. I, I played it online a couple times, read through the rules, and then I brought it to a, a a friend's house one night where we were playing Catan and there were about 10 of us over there. So we had five people, four or five player game of Catan going on. And then we, I said, who wants to play Puerto Rico? <laughs> and so I started teaching the game and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I taught the game for about an hour. And so after this group of Catan players was getting done, we were just getting started and I ruined some people on this game. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. But uh, so, since then, I've gotten much better. I can teach in about you know maybe ten minutes or something. So he says. So I say. <laughs> so, but I still love this game. Actually, Puerto Rico is, is way way up on my on my list of favorite games. It's it's just really a lot of fun. It's it's you know more strategic than the other games. It, it was definitely the heaviest game that I had played up until this point in my life, or or, or gaming. Uh, gaming timeline but but it's still a lot of fun and i i still like to get it out again i i pimped out this copy of 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 puerto rico that i i get together I and i play a couple that. times a year did yeah you? yeah i did i'll have to i'll have to show it to you sometime so what i did is it has these cardboard pieces for the for the resources and all i did mostly is i made wood pieces for everything in the game and then i have metal coins in the game and cool. i made these little wooden um victory point chits and all that so yeah i'll have to show that to you sometime i i like it you should that would be awesome actually i'd like to play i haven't played puerto rico in uh, maybe a year or so so i and i'll and i really enjoy that game so uh my third after we got done playing Catan, um was my brother i believe purchased ticket to ride which is another very good gateway game it's by alan moon and he's done a ton of really good stuff he's definitely mostly known i would say wouldn't you dean for to get to ride oh, to get sure. to ride europe and to yeah. get to ride everything yeah you know um he also did uh, airlines europe which you know is cool so and that's a days of wonder um game as well and so uh, to get to ride you're you're taking your trains and you're connecting cities together and it's kind of like a risk reward game right you're you're risking whether or not by the end of the game you can connect um san francisco to new york or whatever and if you do make those connections you get points and victory points or whatever you want to call i don't know if they're called victory points so it's a very fun game it's simple if again you're listening to this and you're new to board gaming it's another one of those that i would say hey you should go try to get to ride there are people i know that have been playing games for years and are still huge fans of the whole ticket to ride series oh yeah there's even a ticket to ride kids right dean i'm pretty sure that there is yeah there is there's it's ticket to ride first journey yes so they that's have what it's a, a u.s map and then they also have a europe map yeah. for that so. so it's and i will say for me personally i'm not as excited about it as i used to be kind of like Catan. but uh, my wife still loves to get to ride and she's played a ton of games yeah. so you know i know that's out there so what about your number four well I, 
Ticket to Ride could have probably been on this. I think it was just mm. outside of the yeah. those first ones, but I I still love Ticket to Ride. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm just kind of jumping. No, off a lot of people do. About. Yeah, a lot of people do. I actually I have the anniversary edition of this, which is you know really really I'm a component guy, so it's really <laughs> cool components. And so my okay, I'm sorry. Before I get to number four on my list, I need to call you out. Airlines Europe is not a Days of Wonder game. It's actually a Rio Rio Grande game. Oh, I was did, I, I meant to say it's an Alan Moon game. Oh. You did. And I think but, I did. So, <laughs> I let me, so let me call you out. We're going to go back to the tape after this is over, Dean. I just, if somebody was screaming at the radio right then, I just wanted you to know that John was wrong and I was right. All right, number four. Real, go back and listen to it. I still think I said it was an Alan Moon game. All right, no, you're ahead. probably right. Okay, so Seven Wonders is my number four. And Seven Wonders is by Antoine Bowser, who has done a ton oh, yeah. of really, really good games. I love Antoine Bowser's games and have a lot of them. And it was it's published by Repos Game Repos Production. And in Seven Wonders, you're going to start off with a hand of cards, and you can play a lot of players in this. Yeah, I think it's three to seven with the base game or something like that. Yeah. And you're going to take your hand of cards, and all you're going to do it's pretty simple. You're going to take a card. Play it in your tableau and then pass the cards on to the next player. And then you're just going to go around the table. Once you've played three rounds of doing that, you add up your score. Each each card kind of gives you points or, or special abilities or something yeah. like that. And whoever has the most points at the end wins. It's a really simple game. But it, when I first played it, it was kind of complex in that the the iconography is... It's you do not have to super learn what they intuitive. Mean. Yeah. You have to learn what they mean. But we were all fairly new gamers when we first picked this up and we all played it a lot. We played a lot of seven player games of this and and loved it quite a bit. I actually I really, really love Seven Wonders and the thing is, I don't play it as much now because my wife does not like Seven Wonders. She loves Seven Wonders what? Duel. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But... I thought that I liked your wife. Yeah. <laughs> she, I, I think, I think if she went back to play it, I think she would like it. But she just, she just got a bad taste of it yeah. when, when we first played and just, just didn't care for it. But I still really enjoy Seven Wonders and I, I would gladly play that game yeah. anytime. And it, it has a ton of expansions for this as well that add quite a bit of complexity and just, you know, different variations on the game. So I, for me, seven wonders is one of my all time favorite games. I really, I mean, am I going to say it's my favorite game? It's not my favorite, but when I look back and look back at the last 10 years, what games really stand out? Have I played a lot? And it's seven wonders. I love that game. It's not on my list just because I learned about it a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, but it's, just phenomenal. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. So my next game is was already on Dean's list, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse and talk a whole lot about it, but it's Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that next step after we had played Ticket to Ride. Someone had went and purchased Puerto Rico. And as Dean mentioned earlier, it's definitely more complex mm-hmm. than Catan. It's definitely more complex than Ticket to Ride. It's not overly complex, but you've got to want to learn to play that game. It's not one I would suggest that you just jump right in unless you're saying, I really want to get into board games, give me something a little bit more complex. Um, But one thing that really I I love about Puerto Rico is that it's such a good game. I'm on Board Game Geek right now. And that game, what did it come out? 2002? Isn't that what you said? Right, right. 2002. Like, it is still number 15 on their top 100. Oh, wow. There is absolutely something to say about a game that has that much staying power. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. Um I, I, I love it. And that's, it's on my top five, it may be like, or might not top five, but the five games that got me into the hobby. 
Um, it still is probably my favorite out of the top five. Seven Wonders, by the way, is 43, so it has some staying power as yeah. well, that, oh, well yeah. that you just mentioned. So anyway, that was my fourth one. So Dean, what was the, the last one that just kind of hooked you into this hobby? Yeah, the last one, in, in I mentioned in Seven Wonders that we had you know, seven-player games is seven wonders. And so I was looking for more games that, that had a larger group of, of player count. And so we picked up, or I picked up, because I'm the guy who picks up all the games in my game group, King of Tokyo. Yay! And King of Tokyo came out in 2011. And part of the reason that I was drawn to this is because the designer is Richard Garfield, who is the designer of Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Now, I've never in my life played Magic the Gathering but I've always appreciated it, and I've I know people who absolutely love that game. And so when he put this out, I thought oh, that sounds really cool. And it's published by Yellow Games. And in King of King of Tokyo, you're rolling the dice Yahtzee style, and it's almost like battle Yahtzee, where you're trying to take out the yes, other players, is. or you're trying to get the most points. If you get to 20 points, you win the game, or if you eliminate all the other players, you win the game. And it's it's a really simple game. But it's fun, and it's I, really I've played fun. this within the last maybe month, and I still think it has a lot of staying power. It's it's yeah, one that I really I really enjoy. And then honestly, from there, it was this explosion of games. Yeah. And, and so uh, this style of game is one that I, I tend to enjoy. Yeah. Is King of Tokyo. King of Tokyo is one that I play pretty regularly, um, especially. I don't know with boys. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure girls can really get into it too, but they love that attacking and, yeah. and the battle like aspect of it. So they want to play it all the time. It's been one that I've used as a gateway game quite a bit. Like I can teach it to new people. It's got the Yahtzee you're rolling and people, a lot of people have played games like that or simple roll and write where you understand, where you keep a few dice and you, whatever you, you move on. And it's really fun. I will say some people that I have introduced it to don't like, the attacking aspect they think it's too cutthroat but if they do they can just go for victory points which is kind of cool lame yeah i I mean it is lame like i'm all in on that game it's like i'm gonna take you down before you take me down but if you want to be lame right then you can just go for for victory points so i i I love that game yeah i think for cutthroat i i'm okay with cutthroat if that's the way the game is designed i am too and so i i have no problem with it i love it yeah i am too i am too yeah, so my number five is a, another really popular game, and we've talked pretty much about very popular games here, and it's Carcassonne, or Carcassonne. How do you pronounce it, Dean? Car- Carcassonne? Carcassonne. Carcassonne. You sound a little more, uh, I don't know. French? Yeah, a little more <laughs> French. Wee oui, wee, oui, whenever you say it. Um, and so anyway, so that was actually, Carcassonne came out in 2000 by Klaus Jurgen Reed. Did I say that correctly? I think so. I think that's okay. right. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. <laughs> and it's a... Really, it's a tile placement game. If you don't know what tile placement is, like you're drawing tiles from something and you're putting them down on a table or on a board, and it's building something. And in Carcassonne, you're building kind of a village, and you're scoring points by putting tiles that um, make a city or roads that go throughout, you know, the board. It's pretty, pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. I still really like this game. Um, it's been a good gateway game for a lot of people. I will say, if you've never played it before, sometimes like figuring out whether a city is closed, whether the farmer... That's something that a lot of people get confused about is farmers. Yeah. Where does where does the farmer's land end? Um, some of that can be a little confusing. In fact, when I teach people it for the first time, I do not play farmers. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening here and interested in Carcassonne, and you, I would suggest not playing the farmer role, yeah. at least a game or two. Just build your cities, just do the roads. Um, 
feel like you need to see how the game plays out. Yeah, do your monasteries. Yeah, do the simple right. things. Um, but it's it's still a game, and there's a lot of expansions for it as well. It's still a game that's a, a absolute regular in my home. Um, I played it this week. Yeah, yeah. I have a it's Christmas time. I've got the winter version of it. And oh, that's I, cool. Like all kinds of uh, these wintry meeples, Christmassy meeples that we play with. So we play it a lot, especially in December. So yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, that was our top five or not really our top five but the five games that got us into the modern board gaming hobby well hey we would love to hear what games got you into the hobby so one way to do that is to go over to the meeple town guild at boardgamegeek.com and that's guild number 3407 we'll have a thread over there and we just want to know what games got you to the hobby and are these games that you're still playing or or games that you've really moved beyond Another way to connect with us is through our Twitter account. That's at Meepletown Games. And we just want to know what you think of the show. We'd love to hear some feedback. Or if you just want to ask us any questions, we're available. Well, that's going to do it for episode number one. And we want to thank you for coming down to Meepletown. Meepletown.